Today we're back with episode two of Raise Your Glass, a podcast celebrating the best local food and beverage culture Kansas City has to offer. Today we raise a glass to the Restless Spirits Distilling Company. We had a chance to sit down with Benet Shannon, a high school science teacher turned master distiller. In 2015, she left her teaching job with her husband, Mike, founded Restless Spirits, who make craft whiskeys, gin, and vodka in North Kansas City. Utilizing their Irish heritage to create liquors with unique flavors, you can see why it's on Visit Casey's list of distilleries you need to try. So, Benet, uh, we hear that you used to be a science teacher. Is yes, that true? that is true. How many years? I taught science for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Seven of them I taught at Park Hill South High School. Oh, great. And before that, I was at Congress Middle School. So I taught, I taught quite a bit of science to a wide variety of kids. But it was, it was fun. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I got into distilling mm-hmm. is my husband said, hey, you've got a science background. You can help you with can this. this. You can do this. Right. So that that science teaching background is coming in handy yeah, today. The, the science background helps with the distilling, but also the teaching because to be a, you know, a teacher, I taught mostly freshmen, you have to have a lot of patience. And I think that's one of the big skills with distilling too. You just, you have to wait. If you're feeling impatient with it, you're probably not doing it right. You just back off. Just let it go. Let it do its thing. And then it's ready when it's ready. It's ready when it's ready. Yeah. Okay. So um, you just told us that you are the only female distiller in Missouri. Yes. Is that correct? That is correct. To the best of my knowledge. There may be one now. Sure. (laughs) Because, you know, there's distilleries popping Mm -hmm. up all over the place. Right. right So I would be excited if there was another one because you know then we could share horror stories or something but um i know i'm not the only female distiller in the country there's actually a facebook page the women's distillery guild or shoot now i probably didn't say that right but um yes for women who are either distillers or involved in distilling in some way right um and and how numerous is that group or is it um, hundreds or there, thousands? Well, there are 180 members okay. on the Facebook page. Sure. And some of them are just industry people that are interested, you sure. know, or authors or whatever. Um, so I don't know exactly how many women are actually mm-hmm. distillers. Sure. Um, obviously not as many as men because every time you say it, people are like, wow, really? Mm-hmm. So I know it's sad. We have to get super excited yeah. about it. But, <laughs> but it truly is it's, really It's excited. exceptional. I'm excited that we have the only... Missouri female distiller here in Kansas City. That's something to be proud of, I think. So why do you think there are so few female distillers? Well, I think partly because it's a very physically labor-intensive job. It's it's really hard. I mean, especially a startup distillery. Um, Some of the big distilleries are all automated. So, you know, you don't have a lot of hands-on hauling hoses, you know, toting buckets or whatever. But for most startup distilleries, it's it's a lot of physical labor. Mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate in that um, my son's interested in the business as well, and so he's been working production with me. So anytime I have something heavy, like "Hey, Patrick, get that barrel down for me," right? You know, so I've got somebody who can do that. But for the most part, that's probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons. Um, it's also just not been a normal thing for a long time. It used to be because it used to be one of the household chores, you know, back in really? the olden days, right. you know, the 1800s or whatever, when, when everything was agricultural, mm-hmm. it was just one of the household chores to 
distill the leftover grain or whatever products you had around, you would distill it and that's how you would store it. Um, but then that fell out of favor when, um, first of all, they started taxing it and then prohibition came about. Sure. So obviously people stopped producing Disrupted stuff Disrupted household home. production. Sure. Right. Um, and so then when it started back up again, there was a stigma attached to it and a lot, a lot of women got back into it. I think that that's kind of odd though, because it seems to me that a woman would be better at it because we have heightened sense of smell and taste. And so we should be able to produce a finer product. Sure. And so why not do it? But Sure. And that, that was one of my questions. What, you know, unique traits do you think women can bring to yeah, the trade? I, and I think that's part of it. Right. Um, and I think that's why a lot of you know, women have always been the cooks at home and stuff because you just you taste things better and, and you kind of know you can put things together in a different way and create better flavors. And, and, you know, a lot of what I'm doing, I do by smell and some of my process is just by sound. I kind of monitor things by how it sounds. Sometimes something will change and I'll be like, whoa, what was that? Just, you know, I'm like, what? I heard something. Mm -hmm. I'll have to run off and check a valve, you know, but that's interesting. Just, just little things like that. That's the sign of a really good operator, I've mm -hmm. learned, because we've got our processing facility on the east side of Kansas City, and it's very, very heavy industrial. Uh -huh. But hearing is a big part of it. Yeah. Hearing that a certain piece of equipment doesn't sound quite like it normally does yeah. is a huge part it's a of lot identifying an to issue. Monitor that way, mm -hmm. so you don't have to keep constantly running and checking gauges. Right. <laughs> you True. Can just listen for it. Right. Yeah. I like that. No, and I, I mean, I know nothing about distilling, so is there a way to, I mean, I'm sure there's quality control and having, having to check things along the process, but do you really, probably, or I guess my question to you is, do you really not know what you're going to get until the end of the whole process, or? Well, you, you have an idea. Yeah. Um, and that's, those are just control steps to take all along the way. The, the mashing is like one big control step, mm -hmm. so when I create the wort, which is the sugar water, you know, using the right grains and managing all the temperature and everything. So that's a control step. And you can tell by the end result, you take some measurements on that and you know, okay, I was successful at this one. I was like, eh, it's not so great. Next time I'll have to tweak it. And then the fermentation, you know, there's control steps there where you're monitoring the temperature and you're monitoring the progress all along. And, and um, you know, if it's not making good progress, you wait an extra day. You just have to be patient. That's the, one of the benefits of a small, you know, production facility like this is that if I have to, I can take an extra day. Sure. We're not going to miss out on 10,000 barrels of whiskey because <laughs> I had to wait an extra day on my fermentation. So that's yeah. kind of nice. And then, um, you know, just all the different steps with the distillation. I can tell that maybe I need to let it run another proof point longer because it doesn't, it's not quite finished. I can tell by the taste, mm -hmm. you know, just little things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Talk a little bit about your distribution for your products. I know that you know there was a few articles mentioning restaurants that really love to use it. And what have you found here in Kansas City as far as? Um, well, the uh, distribution has been going really well. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're we're almost all the way across Missouri. St. Louis Great. is really starting to get excited about Good. us now. And Kansas, it's a little slower in Kansas, but they have a different type of distribution model in Kansas. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's different. Every state is like a different country when you right. talk about distribution. Right. So it's very crazy. We, that was one thing we had no idea about sure. when we started. Yeah. And we're like, oh, man. 
Who said it? Would we have done it? this yeah. if we'd have known all that? I don't know. But... <laughs> Sometimes it's better off not knowing. Yeah, <laughs> that times. would keep you from doing it. Exactly. Too many, too much information. Mm-hmm. But um, I think one thing that kind of surprised us is the gin, how popular it's been. Mm-hmm. Because when I first created the gin, it was sort of under protest. I don't like gin. I've not liked gin ever. And I'm like, we've got to have gin because, you know, we need our clear spirits. We don't have to wait for it to age. We need something to get into market. Besides our, one of our business partners, he was a big gin guy. you got to have gin. I'm like, oh, man. All right, fine. I'll make gin. So I brought home some equipment from my lab at school, set it all up all over my kitchen, spent my entire summer break distilling out different flavors and coming up with a gin that I would like. So it's, it's a unique a unique gin, but I think that's what makes it fun for the different bartenders around town. They can try different cocktails with it that they may never have been able to try before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we discovered, this is not something you can normally do with a gin, but it makes a really fabulous margarita. Nice. Oh, yeah. And so what is it's it about awesome. it that makes it, you know? Well, it's got, because of the different botanicals, you can enhance them with different ingredients. So in a margarita, you're really going to pull out some of the citrus because I have the orange and the lemon peel in there. So that's going to get pulled out a little bit more because it's getting you know kind of drawn out with that margarita mix. Um, there's a, a cocktail at Westport Cafe, and he brings out some of the spicy notes in it. He uses a peppercorn in his cocktail, and it brings out some of the grains of paradise and coriander notes. So it's just kind of neat that you can. it's not so overwhelmingly anything but it's enough of everything so that it's an interesting flavor and you can pull things out it's in different, different ways. A different yeah. sort of blend yeah. than what people are used to. I'm sure to. the bartenders enjoy getting creative too. Yeah. You know, it's like something, like you said, time. it's something that they aren't necessarily that kind of gin being used to working with. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And so gin is traditionally juniper heavy, is that it, correct? It is. It has to have juniper. Okay. That's, that's to be, the legal to be de- called gin. Right. The definition <laughs> sure. of gin is that it has the characteristics of juniper. But once you have that part established, the rest of it is basically free for all. It's like, you know, the fence around the playground is the juniper, you know, this is your boundary and everything that goes on inside is up to you. So how, how much testing and playing went into finding the right components for the gin? Um, well, I did a lot of reading ahead of time because I didn't want to just randomly run out and start you know, buying all these weird things. I had no idea what they were. So I tried to figure out um, what different botanicals sounded good and then I actually would distill them out by themselves because like well I know what orange peel is mm-hmm. but if it's in alcohol and I distill it does it do something different mm-hmm. so I kind of did that like I said for about six weeks so I have a bunch of little vials of things distilled out and then just put them together kind of came up with this imaginary play, flavor profile and proportioned it out based on the reading that I did and poof it was gin it worked <laughs> it just worked magic and science all at once it was awesome but yeah so that and the, the pachin I think has been a big surprise for a lot of bartenders it's something they don't usually get their hands on is a pachin so that's been fun too so what all goes into making that pachin well pachin is basically just white dog it's it's a one NH whiskey. It's like a moonshine almost. Nice. Yeah. It's it's the Irish version of moonshine, if you will. Okay. So what I make mine is with my, my malt whiskey, um, I use my 100% malt prof, uh, grain bill that I use 
for my regular whiskey, and I just triple distill it, and then it isn't aged. So, hey, can I help you guys? Any tastings today? No, today oh, we are closed. Closed. Yes. Just too hot to drink. Is that common? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And normally well, we were was, chicken and pickle wandering. Right. We yeah. just thought we'd come over and check it out. Yeah. And we've talked about being open more, yeah. but. I mean, once the cat's out of the bag, we're trying to do it. It's like, I've been very insistent. This is a production model. Sure, so I'm yeah. making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we're trying to find a good balance. And maybe eventually we'll be able to be open more. We've expanded into the back warehouse space um, to keep more of our supplies in the storage back there. And we talked about starting to air condition in that space. So if we do, then we can bottle in the back. We'll never touch this area. Right. They can be open whenever. Yeah. It'd be great. Anyway. Yeah, Sorry about that. <laughs> sure. Um, Get in there. I have a random one, but I think, um, so I know you mentioned Irish whiskey. Yeah. And I think that from you, I'm sitting here staring at this Irish flag right behind you. If you guys don't know, we're actually doing um, this interview in, um, in the distillery, which is really cool. So tell us a little bit about, I'm just, if I understood correctly, kind of your, your family, you have a little bit of family history with this and then kind of trickled down into what you all are doing today. Yeah, so it's it's mostly, it's my husband's family that has the Irish history, the Irish background. I'm actually German, but I'm, you know, I'll play along. It counts. It <laughs> um, so my husband's great-great-grandfather, Michael Joseph Shannon, immigrated to the United States in 1853. So we have that document, and actually um, on the label of our Stonebreaker whiskey, it has the immigration declaration. We have a copy of it from the, the records, and we've used it as sort of the background of the label. That's cool. So it's pretty neat. So we've kind of been able to pull in a lot of that heritage in uh, the products that we do in our labeling and everything. Um, when Michael Joseph immigrated, he started working for the Intercontinental Railroad or the Transcontinental Railroad, depending on who you're talking to. They call it different things. But... Um, and that's why our Duffy's Run vodka has the train theme to it, because a lot of the Irish immigrants worked on the Transcontinental Railroad. Yes. And uh, we even got the name Duffy's Run from a memorial in Pennsylvania called Duffy's Cut to Irish immigrant rail workers. So that was kind of another tie-in that we did, and um, just a lot of things we do to kind of pull in that Irish story. That's neat. The uh, imported whiskey, the Sons of Aaron is Irish. Uh, we originally were just looking for an Irish whiskey to use in the Stonebreaker blend because we wanted an Irish and American whiskey, something sure. that was Irish American like we are. Right. Um, but we've discovered this whiskey when we imported it was so great. We thought, well, we're going to have to come up with a label for that one too. <laughs> so that's how Sons of Aaron was created, you know. That's my favorite label. The sense of yeah, I think yeah. it's really cool. I think Ural's labels and branding is really, really it's, neat. It's, it's a fresh been take. Really it's fun to create those. Um, my my husband's background. So we talked about how I'm a science teacher. Well, he's his background was in product development and brand management. So for like 30 years, he worked for different companies, helping them develop new products and new packaging and all that. He was like, "It's my turn." So he's been able to really work at developing the products and the labeling and everything that goes with what we produce. And we were fortunate to find a good designer here in town mm -hmm. to really help us a lot with that. So, yeah, yeah. Really cool. we were blessed with a lot of creative talent in Kansas City, yeah. so it's great. I think so, yeah. So uh, we're here you know, in your distillery, which is in North Kansas City. 
Um, you all were one of the early movers here. Yeah. Uh, kind of in the revitalization of North Kansas City. So why did you choose it? Well, um, the original idea to come here was sort of lucky happenstance. We'd been searching for about two years to try to find a good place to build our distillery. And there's a lot of things you have to take into consideration. Um, for example, we needed to have the right amount of overhead fire sprinklers and those fire suppression. And to build that in ourselves was going to be cost prohibitive. So we needed to find a place that had that. We needed something with tall ceilings because my still is 13 and a half feet tall. So we needed something that had that kind of space. And we wanted something that wasn't just tucked away in an industrial backyard somewhere that was close to where people are. So this just kind of, we came across this um, and thought this would be ideal. So this was our, our second perfectly ideal spot. Our first perfectly ideal spot was in Parkville, but the fire marshal was unhappy with the idea of us putting our distillery there. So one thing that, one piece of advice that we got way back was that if you get any pushback from anybody in government, go somewhere else because it's never gonna get better. So we were like, okay, we're out. We're not going to Parkville. Um, but North Kansas City, the city government has been amazing to work with. They are fantastic. So between the ideal location and the ideal government people to work with, they've just been so helpful that it just was perfect. And then all this growth, it's like, you know, this was a weed yard. There wasn't even a parking lot when we started building this and there was nothing next door and cinder block was half as big. It was just amazing. There was, and then it's just growing like gangbusters. It is. Yeah. It's been wonderful. It's really turning cool. into quite the entertainment district, which yeah, is a good place to be. Really neat. Yeah. We were in the KC St. Patrick's Day Parade this year, which oh, was yeah, our first yeah. time ever in it. We had a blast. Um, yeah, we had the whole team fun. there, and it was a great time. We were right behind you all. So, and you had your the, paddy, the paddy wagon. wagon. Yes. yes. So we love, we, the Ripple team is a little bit obsessed with the paddy wagon after <laughs> that experience. So we had a lot of fun with you guys. Um, can you tell us how that vehicle came to be? Well, what it is, is a 1947 International. It was actually commissioned for the military, an army base in Colorado for a mail truck. Um, once it was decommissioned, a friend of our business partner who lives in Colorado, he bought it with the idea that someday he was going to restore it. It sat in his yard for probably 30 years, and he lives in Pueblo, Colorado, so kind of a desert environment, so it didn't rust. It just kind of sat there in this nice little, you know, it's just uh, stayed there and was, was sort of preserved, and it was great. But um, then he was like, I'm going to scrap this thing. And our business partner, John, out in Colorado, was like, no, 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 don't do that, you know. So we bought it for like $1,000 for this old truck. And we are like, we could do some cool things with this, right, this international truck. And so we bought it and repainted it and restored it. It's got all the original parts in it. I mean, there's a few things that mechanics had to work on. We got it here, and it was having some issues with overheating and whatever. So the first time we had it in the parade, it overheated almost right away and they had to kind of 
push it off. It was very embarrassing. Oh, no. But fortunately... Small business issues, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's actually a shop here in North Kansas City, and the man that owns the shop, his name is Toby, but his father used to work on these trucks when they were new and he was young. He was so excited I bet. to have That's a chance amazing. to work on this truck that yeah. they've just been taking it apart and just, just babying the thing and making it purr. It's just really cool. So it's been awesome just coming up with all the neat little things. And yeah. we've redone the whole inside, so it's like this little whiskey snug. We've lined the inside with oak, so it looks like the inside of a barrel That's on the cool. inside with a little copper paint on the ceiling and a little bench that folds down. It's crazy. That's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So you were talking about the entertainment district. Yes. So you know how people are walking around, and they'll, that'll mm-hmm. happen a lot when yeah. somebody will come through the door. Mm-hmm. But um, like we were saying, the only time we're actually open is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we do tours and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Now this time of year, it's hot, so we don't have a lot of people who are super interested in going back there. We let them know, hey, it's like 100 degrees. <laughs> if you want to go, okay, but just be warned. Um, but then, like tonight, we're setting up for bottling, and that's another way people can come in and kind of get a behind-the-scenes look. They can see, you know, they can actually bottle the spirits themselves, oh, which cool. a lot of people don't get to. You know, you just yeah. don't get to do no. that very often. Hands-on things yeah. like that. So that's a volunteer opportunity, right? Right. Yeah. And they get the the pleasure of helping with that, they, and they then get to, they, they in work, a t-shirt or <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, the t-shirts are for sale, but they actually yeah. get a bottle of what we're filling. Even better. Even better. I will say, though, that the t-shirts are super cool, so. Yeah, those are fun, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how often do you do that? Right now, we're doing it every Tuesday. Okay. So, every Tuesday, you're bottling. Yeah. Um, Yeah, on the website, there's a sign-up. I have a waiting list. It's about almost 200 people. Wow. But you don't get off the list. That's why it's so long. Yeah. So, it cycles around. Right. chooses people at random to come in. And how many people do you bring in each Tuesday? Um, depending on what we're filling, anywhere from five to, to ten people. So for the Builder's Gin, uh, we now have a labeling machine that puts on the main labels. Yay. That would normally take an extra four people to do those steps. So now we have one person on a machine. So we don't need as many people for that. But the Sons of Aaron, there are multiple labels and tampers and the shrink wraps and all that stuff that go on there. And so we need more people for that one. Stonebreaker, we actually have to write the batch numbers on it. And so that's an extra step. So we need more people. So that extra that. help is probably really needed. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> and people love it. And right? people it's, have fun. And we have a great time. And we feed them pizza. Mm-hmm. And we need to sign up. I want to, I want to do it. But, I'm yes, going to get on the waiting I know, list. I am too. <laughs> and sometimes we have people who will sign up a group and they'll do like a team builder oh. or something for work. Or, you know, like we have, we have a men's group that's sort of mm-hmm. a recurring thing and they like to come in and, and they just just to do that they just reach out to me on sure. my, my email and say hey we want to do this or sometimes they reach out through Facebook mm-hmm. or something and and I'll get in touch with them and we'll pick a night and we'll say how about this one and usually that works out pretty good and they come in and it's a lot of fun that is, so good. if we wanted to bring the Ripple team for Team yes. Builder we could do that you could like. do that yeah okay. I think that sounds like a plan <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads so we'll yeah. have to do that yeah for sure you should do that That'd yes that sounds so fun so what advice would you give there other women that might want to get into distilling or have questions about the career? Um, well, ask for a lot of help. You know, you want to get as much advice in all kinds of areas 
you know, and, and everything that you do is going to be uniquely your own. So every distillery is basically the same, but they're all very different. So you kind of decide what is it that you like, what is it that you want to create, and don't try to create something because somebody else says that they like it. If you don't like it, don't put it in a bottle because you can't believe in it, you can't stand behind it. So that would be my thing, is make sure you know what you like and what you want to make, and then figure out how to do it. And it goes back to the, your gin, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's See, like, okay, I don't if really I really like gin, gin. <laughs> I'm going to make a gin that I like. Right. Right. And, yeah. it, and that's gone over super well, so yeah, it, it works. It seems to work. Right. <laughs> so um, you all are recycling glass here yes. at the distillery. So can you talk about how the role that recycling plays in your business? Well, um, in any um, company, obviously, there's going to be a lot of waste. So I've, from day one, I've been wanting to figure out how can we recycle things. Originally, we were recycling at the, there was a community recycling center over by the Y, and I would just load it all up in the back of my car once a week, and I'd just take it, dump it in there, and then they took that away. So then I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do with all this glass, with all this cardboard, with all this paper, with all this waste that we produce? I didn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, so for a while, I was actually loading it all up in my car and driving it all the way up to the recycling center next to Metro North. Yeah. Because that was the next closest one that I could find. And that happened probably every other week. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times it would hit the dumpster because it was just too much work and not enough time. But then Pierce reached out, Pearson, and reached out about the glass. I'm like, yes, score, <laughs> this will be awesome. And then the waste management company reached out and we're with the cardboard and I get grain in in these big polyvinyl super sacks mm -hmm. and they'll recycle those. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to kind of find companies that will mm -hmm. help out with it. So that's been a, a good thing. Good. Well, and thanks for being committed enough to haul it yourself. Yeah, yeah well, that's sort of my great. background. I grew up in Colorado, up in the mountains, and my, my, my dad was a science teacher, too. And we would spend summers camping and finding stuff for his classes. We would, be, we would harvest flowers that they could dissect in, their, you know, in his biology class, things like that. So I've always been very aware of the environment, and, and so that makes, it, makes a difference to me. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what projects do you have coming up that you're excited about? Well, most of the things that I have coming up are coming up in a couple of years. So right now I, I have my malt whiskey, the Gully Town, that is completely made and aged here. That is uh, the double barrel aged because I was able to use a small barrel to age faster. So basically it produces a two-year quality whiskey in nine months. Mm -hmm. And then I put that into a used bourbon for another year to let it mature and mellow a little bit and sweeten up. It's amazing. I was so amazed when I pulled it out of the barrel. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Um, so what I have going on now, I've got some stuff in the big barrels that I'm going to let them stay in there for four years. Mm -hmm. And we're coming up on two and a half for some mm -hmm. of them. So it's getting closer, yeah. but... Just goes back waiting. to the patience. Goes back said. to the patience. You just gotta <laughs> wait. Yeah. So that's really the next things that I have coming up. I've got experiments that I've played with, but nothing that we've decided to take the time to put a label on. I have one that's a, basically it's a malt whiskey that I finished in a rum barrel, 
It's so good. But I only had 30 gallons of it. What do you do with that? So, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Just waiting for stuff to age now. I'm going to look forward to that. Yep, I am. Well, thank you, Benet, for your time today. Um, We've really loved getting to see the distillery. And we hope to come back and help you on the bottling line sometime soon. Yeah, well, I appreciate, you know, the work that you guys do and helping us out recycling and everything. Thank you. Well, there you have it. It's so fun to meet local business owners who are revitalizing North Kansas City. And the fact that Benet is one of the only women distillers in the country is so inspiring. You can find the Restless Spirits website and the Women's Distilling Guild Facebook group in the show notes. So check those out and go enjoy some great local spirits or sign up to pitch in and learn about the bottling line. I know that's going to be on our to-do list. Need help finding the show notes? In Apple Podcasts, just swipe up from the player screen or you can always go to raise.rippleglass.com where you can find the links and notes on our guests. This podcast is made possible by Ripple Glass, Kansas City's hometown glass recycler. If you live in Kansas City, you probably have seen one of our big purple bins around town. That's where you can drop off all of your glass bottles and jars so we can save them from the landfill and keep Kansas City beautiful. If you're already a glass recycler, thank you. You're awesome. If you haven't started recycling your glass yet, check out rippleglass.com, put in your zip code and find all the bins closest to you. Next week, we'll be joined by one of Kansas City's most charming entrepreneurs, John McDonald, founder of Boulevard Brewery and Ripple Glass. We're going to find out about where everyone's favorite hometown beer came from. We're hoping you're enjoying the podcast. And if you love Kansas City culture as much as we do, drop us a line at info at rippleglass.com and tell us who we should spotlight in a future episode.